Section thirteen of Celebrated Crimes, Volume five, by Alexander Dumas. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tom Denham. Celebrated Crimes, Volume Five, by Alexander Dumas, Section Thirteen. This court, having considered the trial held before the provost of Paris, or his deputy lieutenant at the Châtelet, for the satisfaction of the aforesaid deputy at the aforesaid Châtelet, at the request of the deputy of the King's Attorney General at the aforesaid court, summoner and plaintiff against Antoine François de Roux and Marie-Louise Nicolet, his wife, defendants and accused, prisoners in the prisons of the conciergerie of the palace at Paris, who have appealed from the sentence given at the aforesaid trial, the 30th day of April, 1777, by which the aforesaid Antoine François de Roux has been declared duly attainted and convicted of attempting unlawfully to appropriate without payment the estate of buissonny Suef, belonging to the Sieur and Dame de Saint-Faust de la Motte, from whom he had bought the said estate by private contract on the twenty-second day of December 1775, and also of having unworthily abused the hospitality shown by him since the sixteenth day of December last, towards the aforesaid Dame de la Motte, who arrived in Paris on the aforesaid day in order to conclude with him the bargain agreed on in December 1775, and who, for this purpose, and at his request, lodged with her son in the house of the said de Roux, who, of premeditated design, poisoned the said Dame de la Motte, whether by a medicine composed and prepared by him, on the thirtieth day of January last, or by the beverages and drinks administered by him after the aforesaid medicine, he having taken the precaution to send his servant into the country for two or three days, and to keep away strangers from the room where the said Dame de la Motte was lying, from the effects of which poison the said Dame de la Motte died on the night of the said 31st of January last, also of having kept her demise secret, and of having himself enclosed in a chest the body of the said Dame de la Motte, which he then caused to be secretly transported to a cellar in the Rue de la Mortellerie, hired by him for this purpose, under the assumed name of Du Coudray wherein he buried it himself, or caused it to be buried, also of having persuaded the son of the above Dame de la Motte, who with his mother had lodged in his house from the time of their arrival in Paris until the fifteenth day of January last, and who had then been placed in a school, that the aforesaid Dame de la Motte was at Versailles, and desired him to join her there, and under this pretence of having conducted the said younger Sieur de la Motte, 
the twelfth day of February, after having given him some chocolate, to the aforesaid town of Versailles, to a lodging hired at a cooper's, and of having there willfully poisoned him, either in the chocolate taken by the said younger Sieur de la Motte before starting, or in beverages and medicaments which the said de Roux himself prepared, mixed, and administered to the aforesaid Sieur de la Motte the younger, during the eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth, and fourteenth days of February last, having kept him lying ill in the aforesaid hired rooms, and having refused to call in physicians or surgeons, notwithstanding the progress of the malady, and the representations made to him on the subject, saying that he himself was a physician and surgeon, from which poison the said Sieur de la Motte the Younger died on the fifteenth day of February last, at nine o'clock in the evening, in the arms of the aforesaid de Roux, who, affecting the deepest grief and shedding tears, actually exhorted the aforesaid Sieur de la Motte to confession, and repeated the prayers for the dying, after which he himself laid out the body for burial, saying that the deceased had begged him to do so, and telling the people of the house that he had died of venereal disease, also of having caused him to be buried the next day in the churchyard of the parish church of Saint-Louis at the aforesaid Versailles, and of having entered the deceased in the register of the said parish under a false birthplace, and the false name of Beaupre, which name the said de Roux had himself assumed on arriving at the said lodging, and had given to the said Sieur de la Motte, the younger, whom he declared to be his nephew. Also, to cover these atrocities, and in order to appropriate to himself the aforesaid estate of Buisson Sueff, he is convicted of having calumniated the aforesaid Dame de la Motte, and having used various manoeuvres and practised several deceptions, to wit, first, in signing, or causing to be signed, the names of the above Dame de la Motte to a deed of private contract between the said de Roux and his wife on one side, and the aforesaid Dame de la Motte by right of a power of attorney given by her husband on the other, the which deed is dated the twelfth day of February, and was therefore written after the decease of the said Dame de la Motte. By which deed the said Dame de la Motte appears to change the previous conventions agreed on in the first deed of the 22nd of December in the year 1775, and acknowledges receipt from the said de Roux of a sum of one hundred thousand livres, as being the price of the estate of Buisson. Secondly, in signing before a notary, the ninth day of February last, a feigned acknowledgment for a third part of a hundred thousand livres, in order to give credence to the pretended payment made by him. Thirdly, in announcing and publishing, and detesting even by oath at the time of examination before the commissioner Mutel that he had really paid in cash to the aforesaid Dame de la Motte 
the aforesaid hundred thousand livres, and that she, being provided with this money, had fled with her son and a certain person unknown. Fourthly, in depositing with a notary the deed of private contract, bearing the pretended receipt for the above sum of one hundred thousand livres, and pursuing at law the execution of this deed, and of his claim to the possession of the said estate. Fifthly, in signing or causing to be signed by another person, before the notaries of the town of Lyon, whither he had gone for this purpose, a deed dated the twelfth day of March, by which the supposed Dame de la Motte appeared to accept the payment of the hundred thousand livres, and to give authority to the Sieur de la Motte, her husband, to receive the arrears of the remainder of the price of the said estate, for which deed he produced as a proof of the existence of the said Dame de la Motte. Sixthly, in causing to be sent by other hands, under the name of the aforesaid Dame de la Motte, to a lawyer on the eighth day of April 1777, at a time when he was in prison, and had been compelled to abandon the fable that he had paid the aforesaid sum of one hundred thousand livres in hard cash, and had substituted a pretended payment made in notes, the notes pretended to have been given by him in payment to the said Dame de la Motte. Seventh, and finally, in maintaining constantly, until the discovery of the body of the aforesaid Dame de la Motte, that the said Dame was still alive, and that he had seen her at the town of Lyon, as has been stated above. In atonement has been condemned, etc., etc., etc. His goods are hereby declared, acquired, and confiscated to the king, or to whomsoever his majesty shall appoint, first deducting the sum of two hundred livres as fine for the king, in case the confiscation is not to the sole profit of his majesty, and also the sum of six hundred livres for masses to be said for the repose of the souls of the aforesaid Dame de la Motte and her son. And before being executed, the said Antoine François de Roux shall suffer the question ordinary and extraordinary, in order that from his mouth may be learned the truth of these facts, and also the names of his accomplices. And the decision of the judges in the proceedings with regard to the above-mentioned Marie-Louise Nicolet, wife of de Roux, is delayed until after the execution of the above sentence. It is also decreed that the mortuary act of the aforesaid de la Motte the Younger, dated the 16th day of February last, in the register of deaths belonging to the parish church of Saint-Louis at Versailles, be amended, and his correct names be substituted, in order that the said Sieur de la Motte, the father, and other persons interested, may produce said names before the magistrates, if required. And it is also decreed that this sentence be printed and published by the deputy of the Attorney-General at the Châtelet, 
and affixed to the walls in the usual places and cross-roads of the town, provostship, and viscounty of Paris, and wherever else requisite. With regard to the petition of Pierre-Étienne de Saint-Faust-de-la-Motte, a royal equerry, Sieur de la Grange-Flandre, Buisson-Sueff, Valperfond, and other places, widower and inheritor of Marie-François Perrier, his wife, according to their marriage contract signed before baron and partner notaries at paris the fifth day of september seventeen sixty two whereby he desires to intervene in the action brought against derues and his accomplices concerning the assassination and poisoning committed on the persons of the wife and son of the said sieur de saint faust de la motte on the accusation made by him to the deputy attorney-general of the king at the chatelet at present pending in the court on the report of the final judgment given in the said action the thirtieth of april last and which allowed the intervention it is decreed that there shall be levied on the goods left by the condemned before the rights of the treasury and separate from them the sum of six thousand livres or such other sum as it shall please the court to award, from which sum the said Saint-Faust de la Motte shall consent to deduct the sum of two thousand seven hundred and forty-eight livres, which he acknowledges has been sent or remitted to him by the said de Roux and his wife at different times, which first sum of six thousand livres, or such other, shall be employed by the said Sieur de Saint-Faust de la Motte, who is authorised to found therewith in the parish church of Saint-Nicolas de Villeneuve-le-Roi, in which parish the estate of Buisson-Sueff is situate, and which is mentioned in the action, an annual and perpetual service for the repose of the souls of the wife and son of the said Sieur de Saint-Faust de la Motte, of which an act shall be inserted in the decree of intervention, and a copy of this act or decree shall be inscribed upon a stone which shall be set in the wall of the said church of Saint-Nicolas de Villeneuve-le-Roi, in such place as is expedient. And the deed of contract for private sale, made between the late spouse of the said Sieur de Saint-Faust de la Motte, and the above-named de Roux, and his wife, is hereby declared null and void, as having had no value in absence of any payment or realisation of contract before a notary, and the pretended agreement of the twelfth day of February last, as also all other deeds fabricated by the said de Roux or others, named in the above action, as also any which may hereafter be presented, are hereby declared to be null and void. The court declares the judgment pronounced by the magistrates of the Châtelet against the above-named de Roux to be good and right, and his appeal against the same to be bad and ill-founded. It is decreed that the sentence shall lose its full and entire effect with regard to Marie-Louise Nicolet, who is condemned to the ordinary fine of twelve livres. The necessary relief granted on the petition of P. 
Pierre Etienne de Saint-Faust de la Motte, the second day of May this present month, and delay accorded until after the suspended judgment pronounced with regard to the said Marie-Louise Nicolet. Signed de Gourgues, President, Outremont, Councillor. De Roux's assurance and calmness never deserted him for one moment. For three quarters of an hour he harangued the Parliament, and his defence was remarkable both for its presence of mind and the art with which he made the most of any circumstances likely to suggest doubts to the magistrates, and soften the severity of the first sentence. Found guilty on every point, he yet protested that he was innocent of poisoning. Remorse, which often merely means fear of punishment, had no place in his soul, and torture he seemed not to dread. As strong in will as he was weak in body, he desired to die like a martyr in the faith of his religion, which was hypocrisy, and the God whom he glorified on the scaffold was the God of lies. On May 6th, at seven in the morning, the sentence of execution was read to him. He listened calmly, and when it was finished, remarked, I had not anticipated so severe a sentence. A few hours later, the instruments of torture were got ready. He was told that this part of the punishment would be remitted if he would confess his crimes and the names of his accomplices. He replied, I have no more to say. I know what terrible torture awaits me. I know I must die to-day but I have nothing to confess. He made no resistance when his knees and legs were bound, and endured the torture courageously. Only in a moment of agony he exclaimed, Accursed money! Hast thou reduced me to this? Thinking that pain would overcome his resolution, the presiding magistrate bent towards him and said, "'Unhappy man, confess thy crime, since death is near at hand.' He recovered his firmness, and looking at the magistrate replied, "'I know it, Monseigneur. I have perhaps not three hours to live.' Thinking that his apparently feeble frame could not endure the last wedges, the executioner was ordered to stop. He was unbound, and laid on a mattress, and a glass of wine was brought, of which he only drank a few drops. After this he made his confession to the priest. For dinner they brought him soup and stew, which he ate eagerly, and inquiring of the jailer if he could have something more, an entree was brought in addition. One might have thought that this final repast heralded not death, but deliverance. At length three o'clock struck, the hour appointed for leaving the prison. 
according to the report of credible persons whom we have consulted, Paris, on this occasion, presented a remarkable appearance, which those who saw it were never able to forget. The great ant-hill was troubled to its very lowest depth. Whether by accident or design, the same day had been fixed for a function which ought to have proved a considerable counter-attraction. A great festival in honour of a German prince was given on the Plaine de Grenelle, at which all the court was present, and probably more than one great lady regretted missing the emotions of the Place de Grève, abandoned to the rabble and the bourgeoisie. The rest of the city was deserted, the streets silent, the houses closed. A stranger transported suddenly into such a solitude might have reasonably thought that during the night the town had been smitten by the angel of death, and that only a labyrinth of vacant buildings remained, testifying to the life and turmoil of the preceding day. A dark and dense atmosphere hung over the abandoned town. Lightning furrowed the heavy motionless clouds. In the distance the occasional rumble of thunder was heard, answered by the cannon of the royal fate. The crowd was divided between the powers of heaven and earth, the terrible majesty of the Eternal on one side, on the other the frivolous pomp of royalty, eternal punishment and transient grandeur in opposition. Like the waters of a flood leaving dry the fields which they have covered, so the waves of the multitude forsook their usual course. Thousands of men and women crowded together along the route which the death-cart would take. An ocean of heads undulated like the ears in a wheat-field. The old houses, hired at high rates, quivered under the weight of eager spectators, and the window-sashes had been removed to afford a better view. Attired in the shirt worn by condemned criminals, and bearing a placard, both in front and behind, with the words, Willful Poisoner, de Roux descended the great staircase of the Châtelet, with a firm step. It was at this moment, on seeing the crucifix, that he exclaimed, "'O oh Christ, I shall suffer like thee!' He mounted the tumbril, looking right and left amongst the crowd. During the progress he recognised and bowed to several of his old associates, and bade adieu in a clear voice to the former mistress of his prentice days, who has recorded that she never saw him look so pleasant. Arrived at the door of Notre-Dame, where the clerk was awaiting him, he descended from the tumbril without assistance, took a lighted wax taper weighing two pounds in his hand, and did penance, kneeling, bareheaded and barefooted, a rope around his neck, repeating the words of the death-warrant. He then reascended the cart in the midst of the cries and execrations of the populace, to which he appeared quite insensible. One voice only, endeavouring to dominate the tumult, caused him to turn his head. It was that of the hawker who was crying his sentence, 
and who broke off now and then to say, "'Well, my poor gossip de Roux, how do you like that fine carriage you're in? Oh, yes, mutter your prayers and look up to heaven as much as you like. You won't take us in now.' "'Ah, thief, who said I stole from you? Wasn't I right when I said I should be selling your sentence some day?' Then, adding her own wrongs to the list of crimes, she declared that the Parliament had condemned him as much for having falsely accused her of theft as for having poisoned Madame de Lamotte and her son. When arrived at the scaffold, he gazed around him, and a sort of shiver of impatience ran through the crowd. He smiled, and as if anxious to trick mankind for the last time, asked to be taken to the Hôtel de Ville, which was granted in the hope that he would at last make some confession. But he only persisted in saying that he was guiltless of poisoning. He had an interview with his wife, who nearly fainted on seeing him, and remained for more than a quarter of an hour unable to say a word. He lavished tender names upon her, and professed much affliction at seeing her in so miserable a condition. When she was taken away, he asked permission to embrace her, and took a most touching farewell. His last words have been preserved. "'My dear wife,' he said, "'I recommend our beloved children to your care. Bring them up in the fear of God. You must go to Chartres. You will there see the bishop, on whom I had the honour of waiting when I was there last.' and who has always been kind to me. I believe he has thought well of me, and that I may hope he will take pity on you and on our children. It was now seven in the evening, and the crowd began to murmur at the long delay. At length the criminal reappeared. An onlooker who saw him go to the Hôtel de Ville, and who was carried by the movement of the crowd to the foot of the scaffold, says that when handed over to the executioner, he took off his clothes himself. He kissed the instrument of punishment with devotion, then extended himself on the St. Andrew's cross, asking, with a resigned smile, that they would make his sufferings as short as possible. As soon as his head was covered, the executioner gave the signal. One would have thought a very few blows would have finished so frail a being, but he seemed as hard to kill as the venomous reptiles which must be crushed and cut to pieces before life is extinct, and the coup de grace was found necessary. The executioner uncovered his head and showed the confessor that the eyes were closed and that the heart had ceased to beat. The body was then removed from the cross, the hands and feet fastened together, and it was thrown on the funeral pile. While the execution was proceeding, the people applauded. On the morrow they bought up the fragments of bone, and hastened to buy lottery tickets, in the firm conviction 
that these precious relics would bring luck to the fortunate possessors. In 1777, Madame de Roux was sentenced to perpetual imprisonment, and confined at the Salpêtrière. She was one of the first victims who perished in the prison massacres. End of section 13 End of Deroux